Hi, my name is Phil Metzger, and in 1992 I moved to Moscow, Russia. From there I lived in the beautiful Central European country of Hungary, where my family and I spent the next 20 years living, learning, and sharing about Jesus. Different foods, culture, and language, but underneath it all, we discovered the most amazing people. We learned that to share the gospel effectively, we had to adjust. We had to cross cultures. Now we're back in the U.S., and we're discovering that this country is a melting pot of culture. This show is committed to helping Christians connect to those who think, believe, and live differently than them. This is Crossing Cultures. We're going to look at this. We're doing this series I'm calling Super Apostles for a reason. There's, there's like some tenseness happening in Corinth, and it's being expressed to the Apostle Paul. And I don't want to just look at this because it's the next thing that we do, like, oh, these are the next things that we look at. But I want to look at this because of the, like, that it has, re- it has relevance to life today. And so um, I want to read, beginning in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and then uh, we will look at this and just see how it uh, affects our lives today. Beginning in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for destruction, I will not be ashamed Lest I seem to terrify you by letters, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letter, when we are absent, such will we also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise." We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. We are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we will be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. This whole letter that we've been reading of 2 Corinthians, it's a very personal letter. It's very personal. It's not, the, it's not like 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians very theological, very, uh, very, you know, he's talking about church stuff. This letter, it's very personal. There were personal issues that he brings up and that they brought up as well. And so in that sense, it's a unique letter in the New Testament because it's very deeply connected to emotions and and feelings that people were having that sometimes were right, sometimes were wrong. Please remember that the Apostle Paul was very used to people being against him. So everything that he has to say, or let me put this another way, when Paul chooses to respond to people's emotional outbursts, there's a reason. Paul had been beaten for his faith many times. Paul has been, uh, according to the book of Acts, he's been homeless for preaching the gospel. 
Paul's life was not easy when he chose to follow and to preach the gospel. So this guy has thick skin, we say. This dude's not like, wait, they don't like me? I'm so hurt. He was not like all like hurt because somebody didn't like him. He was used to that. Something more is happening here. And I want you to see what it is. It's this. Paul was very accustomed to the world not liking him and being against him and having a problem with what he was preaching and the message of the gospel. But these were Christians who were not upset with Paul because of the gospel, but were upset with Paul because he didn't look like them, he didn't think like them, he didn't act like them, he didn't promote the same ideals that they valued, and they saw that as as worthy of attack, worthy of opposition. So from the world's perspective, they're looking at this and thinking, I thought you guys are on the same team. And that's why Paul decides to respond to their issues. Paul wanted to to preach a gospel to them, and he says it over and over in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, that was without pretense, nothing fake about it. He wanted something that was authentic, that was real, that was humble, but that honestly and genuinely produced life transformation. Church by itself is not the transforming power of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul didn't want to, remember this is the guy that was starting all the churches around Europe. He didn't want to start little institutions that didn't didn't promote the right message with the right heart. And so he was very personal about making sure that the message that was preached around, at that time, Europe, and now we can say the whole world, was not just a a message that was fit for good people, but that was fit for all people. You know, today we need that same authenticity and humility and ability to be raw. Let me tell you, first time, we've seen it now in the, in the United States, the numbers of people not going to church is higher than those that used to than, that go to church. Why? Well, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want to just I want to mention this. I think partly this has to do with, and, 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 and I'll give you reasons that, I, that we hear a lot, but partly this has to do with the fact that we must be real. We must be authentic. We must be humble. We must be genuine. I'm not picking on anybody. When I say we, I'm talking about the church globally, not just us here in Calvary San Diego. I'm talking about all of our friends and churches around our area right now and in this region. Great people that are preaching the gospel. Great people that love God. We must be authentic. We must be real. Today, unfortunately, so often, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the global, not just you know, us right here, but so often the church, we tend to take no responsibility for why people are not interested in God anymore. It's a unique thing. We tend to blame them for not being interested in God. Oh, this generation just can't pay attention. They're on their phones too much. Oh, please. We're all on our phones too much. (laughs) You're like, these kids these days, I'll go somewhere, I'll watch all the old people on their phones. We're all on our phones. Come on. Or here's another one that I hear. This generation is so much harder than we were. I'll bet you the generation before you would beg to differ. You were probably pretty hard in your day. 
What I'm trying to say is this. One of the things that I do not see the church, and again, the global church doing, that we should be doing today, is we should be taking a reckoning of ourselves. Why do we only blame the unbeliever for why they don't believe? The Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're blind to the things of, of the gospel. So how do you, you don't blame a dead person for not reacting or responding. We must take account, and the Bible says that that it begins in the house of the Lord. We must begin that. We pray for revival. It must, and it's a, such a cliche, but it's so true. It must be something that happens in us. You read books about, oh man, there was this revival and bars were closing down and these things were ending. And it's like, Lord, do that again. That has to happen in us first. We must become authentic and humble and real. I've been really consumed in my own readings outside of scripture. I've been reading books that Pastor Chuck Smith, who started the Calvary Chapel movement, wrote about the Calvary Chapel movement. He wrote books, he wrote two books uh, specifically about the early days of what was Calvary Chapel. I think we could learn from that as we learn from Paul. Chuck was a pastor And I had the privilege of serving under him for about five, six years in person and then about another 15 overseas. He was square, square. He was, man, on Sunday morning, I did worship for him. And and if I wasn't wearing slacks and a button, tucked in button down shirt, if I wore jeans, he would give me that look of like, oh, man. Oh, shame, you know. <laughs> he never said that. But, but he was the one that God called to reach a bunch of dirty hippies. His words, not mine. In fact, I want to read a little bit to you, and I'll put this on the screen here in a moment. God called Chuck to reach a group of people that he would say, listen to this, I shook my head in confusion when I saw them, and I saw them as freaks, as they were commonly referred to in the media, speaking about hippies. Kay, however, began to experience a growing compassion for them. At first, she was concerned for the safety of our children. Then she began to think of these homeless youth who roamed the streets as lost children. The burden in her grew daily. And through her influence, I began to feel it too. It's a pretty famous story about the beginnings of Calvary Chapel that Kay, not Chuck, his wife, uh, had the burden for people that he saw as hippies or as freaks as people that were on the outside, but the Lord opened opportunity for them because they had a daughter in college. Uh, the Lord opened an opportunity where one of these freak hippies, as he called, who were hippies? Any of you hippies in here? You guys former hippies or, or in your heart still hippies? Just a few of you? Okay. 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 Uh, so they, they, you know, they brought this guy home and he was a believer. He had put his faith in Jesus and they were meeting this guy and they were so in, just blown away by him and they invited him to come and speak at their little church. They just had about 20, 25 people in this little, little room and they said, come and speak to our people because nobody's met a hippie before. They were like aliens. They were, they were from another planet. None of our people have ever met a hippie. Come and talk to them uh, because nobody's ever met. So here's what he writes. Through their expression, he's talking about the hippie and his wife, through their expression of genuine biblical faith in the language of their counterculture, we learned a new vocabulary for presenting the timeless truths of the gospel with words that made sense to hippies. As a result, church members felt encouraged to engage in more conversations with young people in their neighborhoods, at work, or even on the street. I got to tell you, I love what he says right there. This is everything. We need a new hippie movement. 
We, and, and you know what? If you're like, oh, where are the hippies? There's no hippies. They're older now. Their clothes are back, but not them. It's a whole different look, and it's a whole different thing. And if your heart, like Chuck, says, freaks, unreachable, I can't do it, it's their problem. And friends, we're missing the fundamental element of the gospel. The gospel always demands me say, Lord, how can I change? I don't begin with, it's their problem. I move into, how do I become a person who could be used by you, God, to read? I don't live back then. I, I wasn't born during the hippie times. How am I going to reach the people that are disenfranchised today? What I love so much about this, I love getting to reread the heart of Pastor Chuck. I didn't get to, I wasn't a part of those tent days. They called them the tent days when all these hippies were getting saved and everything was changing. They were changing music, changing worship. Everything we saw today in worship, it didn't exist 50 years ago in most churches. The idea that we have drums on the stage in the 90s was considered demonic by many Christians. Demonic. I say it all the time, only bad drumming is demonic. Um, but I love what he says. He says we learned a new language. Still English, but a new language. Pull out your dictionaries and thesauruses because it's time for you and I to learn new languages so that we can reach people today. Because until I breathe my last breath, God put me here and God put you here to love people so that they could one day, then, then it'll be their turn and then the next person's turn and then the next person's turn. I've been so inspired to read about what happened in the hopes that it will happen again, that it'll happen in our time. That was my introduction. I have four hours more. Here we go. Verse 7, he says this, do you look at the things according to the outward appearance? Now, I want to pause right there, and don't worry, I'm, I will move eventually in this passage, but he, he makes a, a question, but actually in the original language, it's not as clear there's two ways you could read what Paul wrote. It seems really clear in English, not so clear in the original. The reason I'm saying that is not to sound like I know all these great things. It's to say both ways of looking at this are true. The first one is this. It's just a simple question. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? The second thing is this. It's kind of like an, uh, an imperative or a command. Paul is saying this. Just face the facts. That's another way of translating that same question. Just look at it for what it is, is another way that Paul is saying that. And it's very possible, and I believe probably both of these are true. You know, people can be Christian and think differently and act differently and hold different theological positions and speak differently than we do. There are amazing, wonderful, godly people who don't agree with you and me on a lot of really fundamental issues. None of them related to salvation. The gospel, the salvation of Jesus Christ through what he did on a cross, those are, that's a non-negotiable. But there's so many people, there's people who believe differently than you and me about everything that we believe in, and they still love Jesus as we love Jesus. And Paul was concerned that the Corinthians were seeing things from the wrong perspective, that they were looking at a, a version of Christianity that fit what was comfortable for them. And then they're looking at Paul, and Paul didn't fit the version of Christianity that was comfortable to them. 
They were living in an affluent city in the Roman Empire that was uniquely affluent at that time. Soon it will not be. Soon it will be just like, it'll be worse off than a lot of the Roman Empire. But at that time, they were doing really good. And the church benefited from that. And so there became this kind of move within Corinth of, hey, we're doing good. Our leaders should be looking good and acting good and speaking good. Things should look a certain way and act a certain way. And Paul didn't fit the mold. Paul was a beat up, tired, outside of the box person. Which is, by the way, exactly why God chose him in the first place. People that fit the mold won't go break into new territories with the gospel. You want to just fit in, then you're not going to break out into something new and fresh. We have to be, we have to say, okay, Lord, break me out of that. That's what Paul did. Paul was the ultimate in-the-box dude his whole life. He went to the right schools that he was told to go to. Mom said, you're going to this school. He's like, okay. Mom says, you're going to be a Pharisee. Okay. He became a Pharisee, a really good one. This isn't a compliment, I'm just saying. In his world, it was a compliment. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. And that's the reality of transformation that Paul not only believed in for himself, but that he preached all over the world. He broke outside of that box. It's easy to all of us to judge by outward appearance. I'm not talking about the clothes that they wear. It's a kind of simplistic you know, oh, look at how they're dressed. I don't, we don't really do that. Not as, especially not in Southern California, not as much. You, never, you could walk into a store, some dude could be dressed homeless and be like a billionaire. You just don't know anymore. But we do have other areas and other barometers. You know, somebody could say to you, I'm struggling with my sexual identity. And they get marked, they get targeted. But a heterosexual person who sleeps around never gets targeted because at least they're straight. Gay person struggling tends to have it harder. And I'm saying that as a dramatic example to say that's an outward thing. So nobody would ever, nobody, nobody would never come to church and say that because they wouldn't want to be ostracized. Deep understanding of the gospel remembers that you cannot judge a book by its cover. And even more than that, because I've read books that you could judge by their cover. I've read a book and be like, yeah, it, looks just, it was just as bad as the cover. So I want to remind you, it's a cute little phrase. You can't judge a book by its cover, but you are not a book. <laughs> You're a human being made in the image of God. And if we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, we certainly shouldn't judge a person. Verse 8 says this, If I should boast about our authority, which God gave us for edification, not for destruction, I won't be ashamed. And then he goes on and he's like, hey, you feel like I terrify you in my letters, but that I'm super timid in person. That was the argument. Paul shows up and he's like, oh, hey, love you. God bless you. You know, all soft and cute and quiet. And then he goes home and writes a letter and he's like, you. And then he just blasts them. That was their perception. Paul's response to that is, it's kind of funny. His response is not, no, 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 guys. Don't think that I'm all I, he says, I'll be the same way in person as I write if that's what you'd like. I feel the same way. You can be humble and timid and thoughtful and kind and still say hard things. That's what Paul's saying here. It's, not, it's only disingenuous if you are one way and then totally different. And, you know, so you write, oh, this person needs to change and I'm going to, and, no, no, no. and then you see them in person. You're like, oh, no, I love you. I didn't mean yeah, It's all good. That's disingenuous. But to humbly say, this has to change. 
This is not okay. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul had no problem. He's, hey, 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 I speak a certain way. By the way, history tells us Paul was not the, like, quintessential, like, orator of the time. He was, you know, he was a short guy, broken from being beat up so many times. They said that his speeches were not very good. There was other guys, you know, Apollos was a better communicator, Timothy a better communicator. Uh, So word was out that Paul's not the best communicator, and Corinth was like, we want a good communicator. We want somebody who stands up and all the city goes, that's what a winner looks like. Paul said a real winner is a person who puts their faith in Jesus, not what it looks like on the outside. Verse 12, he says this, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. And they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves, and it is not wise One of the problems with judging by outward measures is that eventually you will have only a narrow group of people in your life because you've measured and compared everybody else out. It's cannibalism. You eat everybody and you just chew and spit them out and and then you end up with just a small little group of people that think exactly and believe exactly and live exactly the way that you do. And that's what the Christian leaders were doing. That's what they were doing. They were, they, were comparing, they were grading themselves on the curve. This guy's like me. This person's like me. I'm in that, we're all in that boat. Let's just all, you know, move together. We commend ourselves by ourselves. It's like this. It's like, I feel like a great Christian when I'm all alone. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm patient with me. I'm super kind to me because I love me. I'm gracious with me. Like, when I make a mistake, I forgive me. I feel it's okay. You'll get it next time. I'm, I, it's amazing. I'm a great Christian. Now, when you're there, it feels a little different. Right? Do you, do you see what I'm talking about? It's like, I can puff myself up. I can commend myself by myself very easily. And then I can do that around a few other people like, oh, they're kind of like me. They're, they're doing good in this part and not so good in this part. Let's be friends. And Paul says it's not wisdom. It's a scary thing as God's people when we feel the need to promote ourselves. And by the way, I want to be very clear on this. I'm not saying, uh, let me give a scenario. You're going in for a job interview and the person interviewing you says, why should we hire you? And you're like, mm, the pastor said we shouldn't promote ourselves. So, uh, well, I'm a lousy person and I really just need Jesus. Friends, don't say that in a job interview. Do better, okay? It's okay. In a job interview, you're, you are, you're promoting your values, your hard work, your, your, you know, your, your skills and all those things. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Don't walk out of here and be like, I can't ever promote myself. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's talking about as it relates to my Christian faith. The opposite of promoting oneself is always having a self-introspection, which is what the Bible encourages Paul himself would say, examine yourself. We should always be in a place of self-examination. Talking about as as a part of the kingdom of God, we need to be cognizant of the fact that my self-promotion of me might push you away from the Lord, not towards the Lord. And I want to be so careful of that. If I were to come up here and say, you know, I love all of you. I've been praying for you. You know, I was up at 3.45 this morning and I was just praying for you. And, you know, now, some of you are like, wow, that's awesome. Some of you are, and, you know, 
wow, I don't pray at 3.45 in the morning. And I could keep going on that, you know. After I read the whole Old Testament, you know, or just whatever, you know. I could, I could make, like I can promote me but sound like it's about you and then put you in a position or put somebody who's never met Jesus in a position where it's like, gosh, I could never be like that person. I don't, we are not the standard of Christianity, amen? Jesus is. We don't have to be. What we get to be examples of, you ready, is the grace of God that he forgives and that he loves. Because you see, unlike a person in the world who is dead and lost in their sins, who doesn't know better, I do and I still sin. So you tell me who's better and who's worse. It's a lot harder when you see it that way. You know, we, you know, it's easy to promote or not promote in different ways. You know, like, we used to say things like this, especially popular among, I'd hear this among, like, different Calvary guys, like, you know, you know, anybody that has, like, an education, oh, they're lame, who needs an education? You know, like, our Calvary pastors were homeless and drug addicts back in those days, you know, and then they got saved and then, go, but the truth is, is that you can promote yourself in so many different ways, and we have to become very cognizant of not doing that. Verse 13, we, however, will not boast beyond measures, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere that includes you. We're not overextending ourselves. Verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure in other people's labors, but we have hope that as your faith is increased, our sphere will be enlarged. So I love this so much because Paul's issue was not that he was like afraid to boast. Paul had no problem boasting. It's just that he was going to boast in the right direction and in the right circumstance. In other words, the opposite of promotion is not this like black hole of I'm nobody, I'm a loser, I'm nothing. That's not the opposite of self-promoting. That's another form of promoting my spirituality. True humble, authentic Christianity has no problem boasting. It's just it's going to boast in the right things. And you know what Paul was boasting in? The people. Look at, look at what God is doing in your life. And Paul says, you are my sphere of boasting. And what that meant is that when Paul was in Philippi, another city that he started a church, when Paul was in Philippi, he would be like this. Oh my gosh, you guys, let me tell you about how amazing the people in Corinth are. Let me tell you what God's doing there. And then when he would go to the region of Galatia, he would be sitting down there and be like, you guys, I got to tell you about the believers in Philippi. They're insane. They're amazing. Look, this is what Paul's talking about. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. How many of you have a pet? That's a child. That's a child. And you boast. You boast. Look at what they're doing. Look at how great that is. Paul's, Paul's friendships in the gospel were his sphere of ministry. And he says this, I came to you and I preached the gospel and you put your faith in Jesus and you started to grow in Jesus and now you're doing what I did for you. You're now telling your people about the gospel and they're putting their faith in Jesus and beginning to grow Jesus and then they're going to do that. This is how the, the whole thing works. It's how the entire kingdom of God works. I go somewhere and preach the gospel and people put their faith in Jesus and then they tell somebody about the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus. It just keeps going and it's been doing that for 2,000 years. The plan has not changed. As Pastor Chuck wrote, sometimes the language changes, the vernacular changes a little bit. 
Got to learn a new way of saying something. Well, that's not how we said it. Yeah, but it's not, we're not back then anymore. We're now. We got to learn that vernacular. And so Paul says this, as you go out and preach the gospel and people get saved, then my sphere of boasting increases. I'll give an example. Um, But let me say this, and then I'll share an example. This is not a passive Christianity where I just go to church and then live my life. There is no example of that in the Bible. None. There is, is, this title, Super Apostles, is a joke because nobody's super. We're all the same. We all are the same. We're saved by Jesus and then called to live in the world that he's put us for his sake and for his kingdom. And I do my job to pay bills so that I can be effective in the world that God's called me to be in. It is not my home. It is not my end. It is a way. It is, it's, it's, just a, it's, the, it's a temporary location until Jesus calls me to be home with him. And until then, I'm going to just be about the sphere that God's put me in, preaching Christ. It's not passive. There's no passive Christianity. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying active means read your Bible more and pray more and do better and be better and all those. That's not active Christianity. You want to know what active Christianity looks like? It looks like this. Lord, change me. Lord, transform me. Because when I'm transformed, I will impact the world around me. When you're transformed, you will impact the world around you. Friends, I believe this for Calvary San Diego more than I believe anything. As we are transforming, as we are being transformed, we will impact the whole world around us. I went to, um, out of the Bible college in Hungary that I was a part of for a long time, we had, uh, we had several different students who came from different parts of Africa. And one of them, one of my closest friends, his name is Prince, uh, he went back to Nigeria to plant churches and he's been living there and got amazing, beautiful kids and they've started seven different churches across Nigeria now. And, and so whenever I get to go over to visit or to, uh, to, to be with him and his family or to share, I, this last time that I went, actually Judah and I went together, my son, and uh, we get there, you know, and we go to the church and there, all these people gather and we're having a big old celebration. And, uh, and, um, and, and, and then in every, like, Probably 10 different times, people would come up and they would say, hello, grandfather. I'm like, well, that's rude. <laughs> hello, grandfather. I'm like, yeah, I got gray hair. I mean, come on. And, you know, hello, grandfather. Hello, I'm very respectful. And, and then finally, they, and so when we started, one of the elders of the church, he said, grandfather. I'm like, okay, bro. <laughs> Let's talk this through. And he said something so sweet, and it kind of, it, 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 it stuck with me when I think of this. He said, well, Prince is our father in the faith, and you're his father in the faith, so that makes you our grandfather. Do you see how spheres work? That's what spheres look like. You have a sphere of ministry. I have a sphere of ministry. We, 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 we spread the seeds of the gospel, and then people grab it, and they, and they begin to grow. Some, not all. And we invest into those, and we love them. And then they grow up, and guess what? They do the same thing. And you, you for eternity, will have a sphere that extends far beyond just what you think if you give of yourself. If you let yourself go out of your box, you will have a sphere bigger than you could ever imagine. 
Verse 17, and I'll finish with this, and we're going we're gonna to close in some worship. We're going we're gonna to finish off in worship today. So I'll invite the worship team to come back on out whenever, whenever they're ready. Verse 17, though, let's not miss this verse. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Verse 18, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. I love that verse, well, those two verses. It's not he who commends himself, but the one who is commended by the Lord. Can you imagine that right now? As you become, as you and I become gospel people and we go out of our box and we begin to live this authentic, humble, real, no more pretense, no games, no games. Somebody says something that we're not comfortable with, we get over it because we're, we're the gospel uh, we're going to engage with the gospel. We're not worried about it. They speak a language we don't speak. We're going to learn it so that we can engage them with the gospel. They live a way we don't live. It's okay. We're going to engage them for the sake of the gospel. And when we do that, guess what? The Bible tells us that there will become a day when you enter into glory, into the presence of God, and, and he can respond one of two ways. And I'm just going to mention the one I hope he'll respond for you in your life. It's this, well done, good and faithful servant. Could you imagine one day when you, when it's all done, all the issues of life, when it's all done, you're going to stand before God and heaven will clap for you and say, well done. What is your life today worth for eternity? The outward appearance doesn't matter. Listen, don't let anybody, it's, it's great when somebody will say, hey, good job. But how cool is it going to be when God says, hey, good job. And let me now, let me say this, because this is only, and I want to finish with this thought, because it's not fair to say one day God will say, well done. Because that sounds kind of discouraging that once in your entire eternal existence, God says, well done. Man, I need a little more. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I could use a little more love than that. And I would suggest this to you. What he says on that day is what he is saying for all of eternity right now. Well done. Well done. You're like, all I did is go to church today. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you're getting the gospel and you're getting my heart and I'm going to use you to change the world. You're like, Lord, I don't want to change the world, your world. God wants to use each one of us to change our world, the, the world around us. Father, thank you so much for just the joy of being in your presence today and getting to worship like we have and getting to engage in your word the way we have and Lord, we just, we, we want to become the Christians that glory in the Lord. And we don't want to be the self-promoters. We don't want to be the um, falsely humble people that self-promote that way. We just want to be genuine and authentic and real and humble. And we just want to like, through us, it would go right to you. That people would see who you are. They would love you and they would know you. And my prayer for you today, those of you here in person those of you watching online, is that you just have a deeper relationship with Jesus, that you would commit yourself today. And that's my encouragement. As we worship now, commit your heart again to, I want to be an authentic, humble, real Christian. No games, no pretense, no faking, no you know, club mindset for me. I'm in it to be a part of what Jesus has for my life. Lord, we love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Crossing Cultures. If you found value in the show, do us a favor and leave a review on 